Thanks for downloading this podcast from the University of Portsmouth. Wherever you are, the chances are you're listening to this because you're the sort of curious person that can't resist a new idea, a little intrigue, a way of doing things differently. And whatever your interests, we hope not to disappoint. Research taking place here at Portsmouth is changing the world. Experts and innovators here collaborate with the finest minds in education and industry to make a difference. A biology PhD was studying creatures in polluted waters when he noticed a strange effect on the local shrimp population. It was to become an investigation that would span his career. Our interviewer, John Worsey, found out more. We found that there was good sites, there was a number of aquatic crustaceans that didn't look quite male, didn't look quite female. When we looked more into that, it was a quite confusing picture because these had parasites and some of these parasites, we later found out had the ability to change the sex of a male to a female. No, this isn't the latest Jurassic Park reboot. This is real life. Zombie parasites are taking over sea creatures, changing their behaviour and even changing their sex. We've found quite a few number of new species of parasites that could change sex and change behaviour. Out on the shore out here, there's a little crustacean about this big. Yeah. And it has a parasite in in its body that makes it swim out into the light. And it does that because it needs to be eaten by a bird or a fish to complete its life cycle. That's Professor Alex Ford, a marine biologist at the University of Portsmouth. He discovered this bizarre event happening right under our noses along the British coastline. But it begged a serious question. If these mystery parasites are causing such dramatic changes in the creatures at the bottom of the food chain, what does it mean for the rest of us? This is what happened when one scientist set out to find where the parasites were coming from and how they were taking over the sea creatures. He wanted to find out how they might be passed on up the chain. And crucially, what sort of effects could these zombie parasites have upon you and me? We're very fortunate here to be right on the coast and to have the Institute of Marine Sciences. We're, we're one of the only uh, universities to have a facility right on the sea where we, where we have seawater and tap and have the, the lab facilities we've got. We have protected sites, special areas of conservation and uh, sort of around our around our coastline here. So we've got lots of protected areas, but we've got lots of impacted areas as well. Professor Alex Ford has been at the University of Portsmouth since 2008. For some time, marine biologists have been concerned with just what impact chemicals can have on environments when human action puts them in places they shouldn't be. Sadly, the consequences of seemingly innocuous uses are often only evident after the damage has been done. We, we banned paints, tributyl tin, that used to uh, be on boats uh, in, in the 1980s and um, because it was causing, causing sex changes in snails right. and it wiped out snail populations all around the world. Hundreds of different species of snails around harbours and ports where there were lots of boats because this paint was rather toxic to uh, female snails and, and it made them grow penis and then they die. Poor old snails. Although the population is slowly returning to the harbour some 30 years later, pollutants can remain in seabeds and soils for a long time, and activities like dredging can bring them up all over again. 
Alex began to study the parasites and quickly found out that they controlled the behaviour of the shrimp by acting on their serotonin levels. Serotonin is found in human bodies too. This neurotransmitter hormone affects our behaviour and some commonly used human drugs are designed to act upon it for this reason. So in the past, uh, we were concerned about uh, chemicals that act like estrogens getting into the water and changing the sex of fish, for instance. Now we're concerned about other chemicals that might uh, interfere with behavioural hormones in the, right. in the aquatic organism and change their behaviour. That got me interested. Instead of drugs that might be involved in changing the sex of aquatic organisms, to drugs that might be involved in changing the behaviour. So then we started researching the effects of antidepressants yeah. on aquatic organisms because antidepressants control serotonin. Some of the crustaceans we study get more active and they appear to spend more time in the light than they do in the, in the dark. Other people have done studies where they've shown fish have become more or less aggressive or they've shown greater exploratory behaviours. So if you've got a fish tank in your house and you go and buy a new fish from the fish uh, from the pet shop, when you put it in your tank, it will sort of stay hiding in the corner for some time, and then it sort of ventures out. If you give uh, some of these fish um, some drugs that uh, control their anxiety, they'll move into the centre right. of their, their tank a lot quicker. I've had a tank here um, with the parasites in that could change the behaviour. All the ones without the parasites would be at the bottom. Mm. All the ones with parasites would swim near the top. Or if I had a little stone in that tank, yeah. the ones that weren't parasites would be underneath the stone. So antidepressant chemicals in the water can influence the behaviour of the sea creatures just as much as they do humans with the same neurotransmitter pathways. It's discoveries like this that make it worth exploring the impact of human activity on our marine environments. But there is a bigger picture at stake too. Headache tablets, statins, things for cholesterol or things for hay fever or contraceptive pill... We take these, they don't get fully get fully broken down in their own stomachs, they come out with our urine, yeah. end up at a sewage treatment plant, they don't get fully broken down there because of those sewage treatment plants weren't designed for to cope with these pharmaceutical yeah. drugs, and then they end up into the nearest river, and then into the estuaries. And even though they're in minute concentrations, uh, they're quite biologically active compounds, so they don't need to be in high doses to have an effect on, on the things that are swimming in them and drinking them. We, we drink that water, we... we use this water recreationally, mm. the food that we eat. Uh, a lot of people eat fish and a lot of fish is taken around coastal areas or in mm. rivers and things. So um, th this all sort of feeds into the food web. So it's yeah. all very much dependent on those, those things lower down the food chains. It's incredibly important. You knock out the food and then our food sometimes disappears yeah. as well. So we have made over uh, thousands and thousands of, of man-made chemicals, yeah. many which were put out into the environment before there were proper processes in place to test what the impacts what might be in the environment. Yes. So we've, we've let loose all these chemicals in the environment, which many of which we don't know how harmful they are. And they were put out before legislation that came in where you had to put them through strict tests yeah. before they were given licenses to be let in the environment. So it's very much playing catch up. And because there's just so many chemicals, right. it's impossible to go and look at them all. So it's trying to design ways of going, what are the priority, which are the ones that we should focus our attention yes. on? Um, and that is probably what we need to work out where, where we are with that. But how do we go about that best? Part of that catch-up is using new scientific techniques to be able to understand the impact of pollutant chemicals on the world around us. It's this sort of development that has allowed Alex and the team at Portsmouth to break new ground 
and deepen our understanding of just how our chemical waste and water supply is connected to the health of everyone and everything involved. So when we started off, we had a small little shrimp of which we knew nothing about. We were able to sequence all the genes in right. that shrimp and not only sequence them, we could differentially look at what genes were switching on yes. and off in a shrimp which did or didn't have parasites which could change the sex or were exposed or yeah. not to chemicals that could change their sex as well. So one of the things that we've contributed to is sort of creating this toolkit of things that we could measure, that we could tell whether its reproductive system was being impacted, its nervous system, its immune system, which we never had before yeah. because nobody had those molecular tools. So now we've got them, it's kind of opened up whole new areas of where our science can go, which is fantastic. So how to use this toolkit? And where should we begin? I think it's probably in, in applying now what we've learnt um, and using these tools to go back into the environment and see whether we can see these changes going on. Because in the past we couldn't, we didn't have the things to measure in the environment to see whether things were changing. Mm. Now we've got these from all our laboratory work, we can now go back into the field and, and see those changes. And the other thing that's quite interesting is is seeing how organisms adapt over time. We, we go to lots of very polluted sites, but there are still organisms there. So wildlife have this amazing capacity to adapt, to change, and all the nasty things as humans do to them. So it's kind of learning how are they changing, how they have, have they got this ability to live in this chemical soup that they, mm. that they live in. We've had a, a number of projects running at the moment. One of them has been looking at the effects of radiation at Chernobyl and Fukushima to see whether um, there are still lasting effects of um, the, the nuclear plant yeah. that exploded um, 30 years ago in, in Chernobyl and the, the accident that happened in Fukushima more recently, whether we can detect abnormalities in the invertebrates that live in the, uh, in the lakes and mm -hmm. shores around Fukushima. We have been looking at the effects of pollutants come out of sewage treatment works, both in the UK uh, we look upstream and downstream sewage treatment plants in here and, and in areas across Europe to see whether they're affecting the aquatic invertebrates, which of course are the, are the food for all the, all the fish. We've had studies that look at and trying to develop ways of analysing the behaviour of aquatic organisms. There are still plenty of questions to be answered as to how we can use our discoveries to moderate the use of certain drugs. But how do you choose which one to study first? There's no point looking at a the effects of a drug in the environment if it's hardly prescribed yeah. and hardly against the environment. So we know what drugs are more prescribed than others. Yeah. So you can start looking at them because they're perhaps more likely to um, be found in the environment. Uh, we can look at how quickly they break down in the environment because if it breaks down really quickly, then that can be a good thing. Um, unfortunately, a lot of these drugs don't break down very quickly because they've been designed to actually be taken orally and survive going through your stomach yes. before they get right. to your, into your body. Yes. So... Um, They've been designed in the opposite way, and that's one of the problems is that they don't break down into sewage treatment plants either and then just get into the environment. Uh, but you can also have a, an inkling that if there's a drug like antidepressant, for instance, because the nervous systems are very conserved throughout the mm. animal kingdom, so a crustacean has the same neurotransmitters as a human that controls its behavior. So you can kind of make an assumption that if this drug affects this this hormone in us, it could well affect this, this hormone in mm. this crustacean as well. 
we don't know what effects it might have. It's because that might hormone might have multiple functions in a crustacean, yes. and, and many of them do. Like serotonin is involved in our behavior, but in a crustacean, serotonin could be involved in their metabolism of sugar. It can be involved in their behavior, their ability to grow and molt, and their color change ability. Right. So you can have a hormone in a human that can be involved in color change. So, yeah. um, so it can have multiple effects in another organism. It's true that a great deal of damage can be done when we harness natural or synthetic chemicals to solve one problem and inadvertently create another. How do we halt the potentially irreversible damage done by human chemicals entering our waters every day? Alex explained what he thinks needs to change. One of the things is awareness. You can see how, how the, the change in behaviour with plastic has, has changed people's behaviour. And that comes around by just awareness and education. All of us were probably taking many plastic bags every single week out of our supermarkets. We managed to stop that pretty quickly, I think by 90% in England and Wales and Scotland. So we, we can change. We do have this ability to change people asked often to use plastic straws and yeah. various different things and just thinking I think and it's the same with any products that we use that may potentially harm the environment a lot of people still chuck their pills down the toilet when they don't use them or chuck them in the bin right. uh, whereas we could take them back to our pharmacy and they'll get appropriately disposed of most people I know don't and that's very var- varied that take up of um, taking pills back to the pharmacy across Europe is hugely variable. It doesn't happen that much. And that's one way we, we can stop some of these pharmaceuticals ending up back yeah. in the environment. Sewage treatment plants could be upgraded, uh, but it costs billions to run that out across uh, a region. Yeah. Um, so there are improvements that can be made technologically to improve that. There are behavioral changes that can be done with the humans where we could just not end up chucking things into the environment that yeah. unnecessarily. Plenty of fascinating answers, but a few more questions too. How will different nations and environment agencies interpret the findings to regulate the distribution of chemicals into the natural environment? And what legislation needs to come into force to make sure that can happen? There's still a long way to go before the crucial findings from the research of Alex and his contemporaries can impact our natural world. But it seems there's no time to lose when the stakes are this high. Where do they set the, the benchmarks, yeah. what they are and allowed in? So most pharmaceutical drugs don't have any benchmarks. Estrogens do because of the work that was done in the 1990s on feminization of fish. But the vast majority, they still haven't worked right. them out. So for instance, you might be exposed to a, a chemical which might have no effect on you. But it might affect your offspring. Oh, it might affect your offspring, offspring. And these, these tests cost a lot of money to do for yeah. companies. They're very complicated and, uh, yeah, sometimes they need to be done. Thanks for listening to this episode of Life Sold from the University of Portsmouth. You can find out more about the work of Alex and his team, as well as our other projects, by going online to port.ac.uk forward slash research. Next time, we'll be delving into the research that's future-proofing a fundamental part of modern medicine. We're trying to understand molecules that are important in antibacterial resistance so that we can have the next generation of antibiotics. Make sure you subscribe in your podcast app to get every episode of Life Solved automatically. And please do tell us what you think with a review and rating, if you get a moment. From the team in Portsmouth, thanks for listening. We can't wait to share another fascinating discovery next time.